you and to bring God's word to you on this special mission Sunday. Special attention to God's work in missions around the world and the work that he's doing in and through our church. Uh, many of you have participated this year. Many of you have gone on these short-term ministry trips to Taiwan or to Central Asia. Many of you have given. Many of you have prayed uh, for those who have gone. We've just seen some of the fruit, right, the, the giving uh, the resources that God has blessed us with. And so now, as the summer is over, as the dust settles and the school year starts up again, uh, this is a great opportunity for us as a church to ask ourselves, what is the mission of the church? What is the purpose of our gathering, week in, week out? That is our aim this morning as we turn to God's word to be refreshed by the gospel, and to leave more committed to the work of God in missions than when we entered this morning. Our passage this morning comes from 2 Corinthians. It's one of several letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in Corinth. It's a bustling city, Corinth. It's a Roman, in the Roman Empire, it's known for its natural beauty, regarded as a prosperous center of trade, infamous for its temple, prostitution, sexual immorality. Uh, Corinth, in other words, was a lot like the Bay Area. And more than that, Christians in Corinth wrestled with what it meant to be in the world, but not of it, what its mission and purpose was to be as a church. And so this Mission Sunday, as we consider why God has gathered us here and how we are to engage the world, it would behoove us to listen carefully to God's word. And so if you are willing and able, I ask that you would join me in standing for the reading of God's word, which comes from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 to 21, which says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Each of us has experienced a relationship turn sour. Perhaps you've seen a friend group slowly drift away over time, or had a sibling or a child or a cousin cut off contact with you, or you've had a conflict at work that makes things icy, or you've witnessed your parents or loved ones get a divorce. We've all seen these relationships 
but not all of these relationships are created equal. If you get into a conflict with your Uber driver, you might not feel that sting as much as if you get in a conflict with your closest friend or your mother or your brother. God's word this morning tells us that there is a way to gain a right relationship with what is by far the most foundational, important relationship that any of us has as created beings in relationship with our creator, the God of the universe. And the world around us is largely unaware that this opportunity to be right with God exists. We as a church are called to participate in God's work of restoring a relationship with the whole world. And so the picture that Paul focuses in on in our passage is reconciliation. The idea of a broken relationship that you and I all understand. A relationship that's been restored. In Greek, this is a word, katalasso, that means to change or to exchange. Originally, this was in the context of money changers in the market, which would have made a lot of sense to the Corinthians in their famous trade. But reconciliation fundamentally is a change from alienation and estrangement to a restored relationship. And so Paul focuses on this concept. He mentions it five times in three verses so that you would know that this is fundamental to the mission, to the work of the church. We're told in verse 18 that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation by God. God has entrusted us with a message of reconciliation in verse 19. And so this morning, to understand this ministry of reconciliation, how it ties to the purpose of the church, we'll consider three critical components of this ministry. Three components of the ministry of reconciliation. The mindset of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation, and the mission of reconciliation. We first see this mindset of reconciliation in our passage in verses 16 and 17. Look with me. Paul says in verse 17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In Greek, this is an even simpler statement. If anyone in Christ, new creation. Everything changes when we are in Christ. We're told the old has passed away and the new has come. And this is true not just on a personal level, right? You and I, who know Christ, have known what a new life looks like. We've been given a new heart. We've been given new priorities and new joy. But Paul is saying this is more than just our personal change, our personal new life. This is true at a corporate level. We have been ushered into the kingdom of God that is coming. We have been given a new covenant. We are part of a new covenant between God and his people. We have a new family here in the church. We march onward to a new heaven and a new earth. We could spend just all of our time this morning on that alone. But Paul brings this to our attention in order for us to realize that 
we can't think about our ministries, our work and missions, our relationships with one another in the same way that we did before we were in Christ. Our mindset is completely different now in three critical ways. How we view Christ, how we view ourselves, and how we view others. There was no collusion with Pastor Stephen, but he uh, hit on all of these in his prayer of confession this morning. We no longer regard Christ according to the flesh, we're told in verse 16. Paul writes that we used to regard Christ according to the flesh. That is, we used to think about him in earthly ways, the way that the rest of the world thinks about Christ. We may have considered him just a good teacher or an impressive leader or revolutionary. These are some of the ways that the world views Jesus. Islam teaches he was a prophet. Uh, Buddhism, that he was enlightened. But friend, if you know him, if you know Jesus, you know that those are pitifully incomplete. We regard him in that way no longer. Jesus is God incarnate. God in flesh and bone. And that is a God worth telling the world about. Our mindset of reconciliation regards Christ no longer according to the flesh. We also regard ourselves no longer according to the flesh. Regarding ourselves according to the flesh prioritizes my desires, my preferences, my plans over everything. And so when we no longer regard ourselves in that way, it means that we as a church will be making choices that look decidedly foolish to the flesh. How we spend our time, our money, our goals, our aspirations, that might mean prioritizing the unlimited PTO that you have at work to serve the church, to go on a short-term ministry trip instead of maximizing that to enjoy as much vacation as you possibly can. It might mean prioritizing language learning so that you could reach out more effectively and lovingly to your immigrant neighbor. It might mean, if you're a student, praying that God would give you clear direction of where to attend college and grow in faith regardless of how prestigious the institution is. In Philippians 2, Paul calls us to have the mind of Christ and in humility count others as more significant than ourselves, which leads us to the last way that our mindset is made new in Christ. We no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. We don't regard ourselves according to the flesh. And we no longer regard others according to the flesh. Regarding others according to the flesh places a premium on what you can provide for me. It considers even, it considers the activity of man even in ministry and things of the gospel. Who is worthy of God's love? Who is worthy of our mission's outreach? Who is likely to respond to the gospel? Shouldn't we prioritize our efforts based on those probabilities? What is even the definition of a successful ministry and missions? I tell you, there are fleshly answers to these questions. But you and I, we have a new mindset in Christ. 
there's a missionary family that I know, uh, faithfully serving in an unreached part of the world, whose, when they announced to their supporters that they were expecting their third child, lost supporters because the idea that they would invest their time in raising children instead of doing the work of ministry was seen as a poor investment. And I would submit that that is very likely a fleshly mindset into the work of God. So where the fleshly mindset sees discomfort or inconvenience in living in a different country for the sake of the gospel, the mindset of reconciliation sees joyful opportunities to be doing the Lord's work. Where the fleshly mindset sees wasted potential in throwing away a lucrative career in software engineering, the new creation mindset that we see here in verses 16 and 17 sees spiritual possibility to engage full-time in ministry or to engage full-time in parenting. Many of you know that uh, my parents are involved in missions. They were missionaries um, in Eastern Europe for a number of years. And uh, my dad comes from a long line of, of doctors. His dad was a doctor. His dad was a doctor. And so he started off college uh, as pre-med. And when he decided that he was going to uh, go into ministry uh, and serve as a missionary, uh, my grandpa's response was, it's your life, you can throw it away if you want. <laughs> and that's from a Christian, someone who proclaims to know Jesus. I'm grateful to share that my grandpa did come around, but those are the sorts of responses that we have in the flesh. That ministry is subpar. That the work of God and missions is less important. Brother, sister, the old has passed away. The new has come. And in order to faithfully engage in the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us, we must have a mindset that welcomes reconciliation because in Christ all things are new. But what is the message of reconciliation? We've been told that we're entrusted with this message, and now, equipped with this new mindset, let us turn to that message in verses 18 and 19, which says, All this is from God, who through Christ was reconciling us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There are three key questions that arise from reading these verses. Who does the reconciliation? How is that reconciliation accomplished? And how is that reconciliation just? So who does that reconciliation? The overwhelming testimony of these verses is that it is God. God has reconciled us to himself. God was reconciling the world in verses 18 and 19. Why does this matter? Why is this so important? Part of it is that I think when you and I think of reconciliation, we often think in terms of conflict resolution. You get in a fight, you say some things you don't mean, the other person says things that they don't mean, and you both need to apologize 
We both need to come together, forgive one another, confess sin. But reconciliation here in Corinthians has a slightly different focus. It is good to confess sin and forgive one another. Don't get me wrong. But the focus here is the state of your relationship. The state of moving from alienation to being restored to full harmony. I want you to notice that God has not done anything wrong in our relationship with him. He is not the one at fault. We are. And yet, it is him who reaches across, recognizes that we are alienated from him, and reaches out in love to us. There's one other passage I want you to briefly consider uh, so that you can go back and think about this point a little bit more. In Matthew 5, verses 23 through 24, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says that if you are offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, you're to leave your gift there and go and be reconciled first. And so... There, like here, the focus isn't so much on what's transpired. We don't even know that the person offering a gift is at fault or if he feels any ill will toward the other person. But there's alienation. There's an estrangement, a brokenness in that relationship. And so you're supposed to drop everything and address that wedge first. God, in the same way, sought out us. He had... We had nothing against God. We were not justified in any complaints against God. And yet, he reached out to be reconciled to us. So God has accomplished this reconciliation. But how? How has he done it? And again, we see clearly here in verse 18 that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. A highly similar passage in Romans 5 says it this way in Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, the death of Jesus Christ changed our relationship with God from estrangement to one of reconciliation. In verse 19 in our passage, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself. It's God's desire that the whole world would be saved, 1 Timothy 2. It's because of his love for the entire created world that he sent his son, John 3.16. But Paul isn't saying, he's not making a universalist claim in our passage. You may see reconciling the world to himself and wonder, does that thus mean that all people are saved? But Paul, just a few verses earlier in chapter 5, emphasizes that everyone, you, me, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that not all will be saved. And so in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, meaning that in Christ, the opportunity to be united with God exists. The world is offered salvation, but not all will take it. Look with me at the end of verse 19. 
we're told that this reconciliation in Christ that God accomplished meant that God did not count their trespasses against them. That's great. Uh, I would love to just get my loans written off or, or anything like that, but how is that just? just can, how is God able to not count their trespasses against them? And so we're going to have to jump a little bit, skip verse 20 for now, and go to verse 21 for this answer. We know that God has done this reconciliation in Christ, and verse 21 tells us more about how that may be. And so in verse 21, we come to this verse that at the same time seems to demand a reverent whisper, but also a shout of joy. So let me read that again for us. It says, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Wow, how might the sinless, perfect, blameless Son of God be made sin? This is mind-boggling. This is staggering statement. It reminds me a little bit when I was a kid. If you ever play with magnets, I feel, I think magnets are great. Uh, but magnets have poles, right? And if you bring two poles of the same identity together, they repel, right? And so if you have two magnets, if you're strong enough, you're able to just physically put them together, right? Even against the, those, that repulsion. And it feels like you're breaking physics a little bit to bring those magnets together. And in, a some, in a very, very small way, I think that's what we're supposed to get from this passage as well. So, but what does that mean? What does it mean that the sinless Son of God is made sin? I think we can agree uh, that it's not consistent with the rest of Scripture to say that this means that Jesus sinned. Hebrews 4.15, for example, says that Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. You may say, well, perhaps what this is saying is that Jesus was offered as a sin offering. And I think there is definitely an element of that. Christ is the Lamb of God. But it seems to be more than that. Paul didn't just say that Christ was a sin offering on our behalf. Paul could have just simply said that. One commentator puts it this way. It seems Paul's intent is to say more than Christ was a sin offering and less that he became a sinner. Right? He's not trying to say just those things. So complete was the identification of the sinless Christ with the sin of the sinner including its dire guilt, its dread consequence of separation from God, that Paul could say profoundly, God made him to be sin for us. Christ, who is the furthest thing from sin, who is unblemished, we're told he didn't even know sin, was made sin for our sake. The venom, the poison, the brokenness of sin that you and I know was so closely identified with Jesus on the cross that Paul can say he was made to be sin. 
But more than that, that's not the only impossibility that we have to wrap our minds around in this verse. It's not the only impossible union. The sinless Christ was made to be sin. So that, read with me, in him, sinful man, sinful you, sinful me, might become the righteousness of God. So once again, we see an exchange, our reconciliation, in which we are given peace with God, involved Jesus exchanging his, our place for his. And to reconcile us to himself, God does two things. He removes the grounds for our alienation. The sin that we have is rightful uh, justification for us to be alienated from God. But he does more than that. He provides the means that you and I can have intimacy. We can have a relationship with him by giving us, making us his righteousness. And so thus far we've seen how in Christ all things are new, which is a foundational mindset to this ministry we've been given. We've seen this message with which we've been entrusted. Now let's go back to verse 20 and consider the mission of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're told that we're ambassadors. Now, most of us, many of us know what ambassador means. If you don't, it's a representative of one country to another. They are hugely important. Ambassadors bridge the gap from they understand the needs of their home nation, but they also learn the culture. They learn the values of their assignment nation. And for an ambassador, there's this incredible weight of responsibility and duty. If an ambassador says something that is out of line with his or her country's position, his or her country's strategy in the global, uh, in the geopolitical sphere, it can harm relationships between those countries. We are ambassadors for Christ. So what? If we are ambassadors and representatives for Christ, then you must live a life of integrity. Every word you say, every action you take, is a reflection of Christ. Do the words you say, the way that you interact with people, point them to God who created them and desires to be reconciled with them? Or does it not? You know, <clears throat> in Outlook or, or Gmail, if you try to send an email with, that says, I have attached the document here, and there's no attachment, one of the most amazing features is that your inbox often flags that and says, hey, <laughs> you said you attached something, but there's no attachment here. What a helpful tool it would be for us as Christians if before every email, a f message came up that said, hey, you're an ambassador for Christ. 
does this message, does the way that you're sending this message comport with that? Are you representing Christ well to a world who doesn't know him? And so if you're preaching a message of reconciliation to the outside world, you must also be eager to be reconciled within the church. If you harbor grudges or fail to seek peace with your brother or sister, know that the world is watching. Jesus taught us that the world will know that you follow him by your love for one another in the body. Someone who understands reconciliation with God is eager to be reconciled with others. Ray Ortland puts it this way, our churches should be the most reconciling, peaceable, happy places in town. We are so open to enemies, so meek in the face of injuries, so forgiving toward the un undeserving. If God, when you were his enemy, decided that that alienation was not acceptable and reached out to you nevertheless, how much more should we in the church be that way with one another? And we who have received reconciliation with God cannot help but rejoice and be eager to proclaim that when it's available to others. This is Mission Sunday. We have a special emphasis on cross-cultural missions and missions outside of the Bay Area and outside of the United States. And not everyone is, is going to be called by God to do cross-cultural missions in a different country. I think we all can accept that and recognize that God has given the body diversity. John said we are either going, praying, sending, visiting. So that doesn't mean that we're off the hook. Wherever God has placed you, here, abroad, you are called to be an ambassador for Christ. If you are currently reluctant to share your faith at work or with friends and family, I ask you to consider the depths of what it means that you are reconciled with God, that you are entrusted with that message to others, entrusted with this precious gift that could radically change someone's eternal life. As one of my favorite hymns says, Soul, then know thy full soul salvation. Rise or sin and fear and care. If we know the fullness of our salvation, the fullness of the reconciliation that you and I can have in God, we will be faithful ambassadors for Christ, empowered by his spirit. And lastly, I, I want you to notice from our passage that this is critical, urgent work. Just look at the insistent language that Paul uses. In verse 11, he says, we persuade others. God is making his appeal. We implore you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The mission of the church is one of proclamation. We have been given a message that we are to speak and preach and declare. There's no waiting 
There's no time like the present. May we join with Paul in speaking to the world. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So right now, is there one person this week that you can be a faithful ambassador to? Just one person at work, your family, your friends, that you can share this message of reconciliation with. Two young men, separated by 200 years, understood what it was to be an ambassador for Christ. David Brainerd was a missionary to Native Americans in the 1700s who was so affected by the need for missions that he wrote this in his journal. My soul, my very soul, longs for the ingathering of the heathen, and I cry to God most willingly and heartily. David knew what it was to be reconciled to God and knew, understood his role as an ambassador. Another missionary who understood this well put it this way in, as he prayed, Father, bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. An ambassador for Christ hopes that every interaction he or she has causes others to engage with the reality of who Jesus is. Many of you know the name Jim Elliott, who was martyred while ministering to the Waurani tribe of Ecuador in 1956. So both of these men, David Brainerd, Jim Elliott, died because of their ministry work before they were 30. That is utter foolishness, according to the flesh. But I tell you, that is immeasurable glory according to the Spirit. And so if you are here this morning and you are not yet a follower of Christ, do I have some amazing, life-altering news for you. You can take hold, receive the reconciliation that God has accomplished in Christ. Don't wait any longer. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you are a follower of Christ this morning, God has accomplished a mighty work in reconciling you to himself. God has provided an avenue by which we can go from justly alienated from God because of sin to being justly brought near as an intimate friend of God through Jesus Christ. God has removed the basis of our alienation by putting our sin on the Son. And God has given us the means by which we can have a relationship with him by putting on us his righteousness. On top of all that, he has entrusted you. He has given you and me a message of reconciliation to a world alienated from him. So put on a mindset of reconciliation, armed with the message of reconciliation on a mission to a world in need. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you. We exalt you. You've reconciled us to yourself in Christ Jesus, removing our guilt so that we might, so that you might give us your righteousness. You've welcomed us into your family, given us a message of hope to the world. Father, give us as a church boldness in our evangelism. Give us eagerness to proclaim across languages and cultures that it might be said of our church, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Empower us now to follow your spirit to the ends of the earth until Christ returns in glory. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.